0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Who Is Grace Weekly. My name's John, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and I'm so glad you're joining us for this conversation today. We're in a sermon series right now at Grace called Better Together, and we're looking at the power of the church gathered. And so during our podcast this month, we're gonna look at some key moments in our recent history and then land on a theme that we can talk about with wider application. It will give you some insight into why we are the way we are as a church, as well as gathering some personal, practical, biblical life lessons along the way. We'd love for you to share this podcast with others and to like and subscribe so you get notifications for every episode each week. Today, I'll be talking to Pastor Derek about resolving conflict. Let's jump into our conversation. Hey, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. We're glad that you're here. I'm here with Pastor Derek. Pastor D, you want to say hi? What's up, John? Good to be with you guys. Good to be with you, man. Thanks. Uh, so we are glad to be back doing this and talking through some some cool stuff uh, about the, the history of grace and, and then some lessons for our personal life. So before we get into conflict, which is what we're going to be talking about today, um, I'd love to hit on this theme of being better together, which is our sermon series right now. Uh, Pastor Derek, who's someone that has made you a better follower of Jesus by being together with them? That could be someone in your life right now. It could be years ago but who's someone that you can say, yep, I'm better because of
1: them. So I've been, really, I've been really fortunate to have some mentors along the way that have really shaped me, so I appreciate that. But I, I want to come to one kind of more current example. I know last week's podcast we talked about this little fishing trip that I went on with some pastors out in Montana, and there's a unique thing, I think, that, at least that I've found in my personal life, that, that it helps uh, to have people who are kind of in a similar position, similar state as me, um, and so, for me, I have found a couple of other senior pastors along the way who have helped to mentor me. And obviously, Pastor Al was a big mentor while we worked together. Uh, but there was one other pastor that I'll mention. His name was Jack. That um, we met with a number, met, met together a number of times. Uh, you know, maybe once every other week uh, for lunch. Yeah. And uh, just that connection of being able to to, it's like you pick up instantly you know, where you left off. You kind of know, you speak the same language. We know what each other we're talking about. But I was able to be real with him in a way that I maybe didn't feel totally comfortable with with everybody else. And uh, him with me, he was able to speak some things into my life. And so that was a very, very uh, important relationship for me during an important time yeah. in my ministry. What a blessing. That's yeah, man. Hear about. What about you? Have you had somebody like that?
0: Yeah, you know, I think back to my best friend in college, Josh and someone that i felt like even though you know there's some ways we were really similar some ways we were really different but we could we could connect over our shared faith we could connect over our shared values and just be really real about the highs and lows of life um i remember conversations with him about relationships about faith struggles and questions mm. and about you know like where we're going what we're going to do after college and all that stuff and it was just like yeah what a what a gift to have someone really know you on a really deep level that felt safe to process those kinds of heavy things with. Um, And it's also someone that we just had a ton of fun together, right? Like there's just so many cool memories I have with him. And so just thinking about him as a person that that made me better as I felt like at a really formational time of my life, um, I'm grateful that he was... He was there to influence me
1: yeah that's great yeah. I, I know when i look back at these at different seasons it's like because you know one of the things we're highlighting all month is this idea that yeah you know that we're not lone rangers when we're christians like we need each other right in so many ways and i think the kind of the prevailing thought of our day is just like i don't need anybody i don't need the church i don't need like it's me and god yeah and if as long as me and god are connecting everything is fine and i think I know for me, and even just hearing you talk about it reminded me that, you know, looking back across the landscape of my life, it's always been when there's been somebody else involved that I've had these growth spurts, Yeah, you know, spiritual growth spurts, because we need each other.
0: That's good. Spiritual growth spurts and how God uses other people. Yeah. To do, yeah. So for those listening today, I hope you're thinking about uh, being grateful for a person in your life that's had that impact, and maybe your eyes are open to who who that might be in this season. So we did this podcast uh, a month or two ago, and we had this section called Cutting Room Floor where you got to share something from your sermon that didn't make it to the final edition. Uh, it was kind of like bonus content for people who would yeah. listen to the podcast to hear. Several people have talked about that to me personally. Oh, I loved hearing you know that that story or that analogy or that, that thought that didn't make it to the sermon. So I'd love for you to share something from this last week's sermon um, that... Didn't make it, but yeah. you, you'd be excited to tell us about.
1: Sure, yeah. So this is just a little bit deeper on on one of the main points. So this last weekend, I talked about uh, that one of the ways that we're better together is that uh, God's transcendent presence shows up when we're gathered in worship, and so talked a lot about just corporate worship and what God does when we when we worship together. And um, so one of the things that I had to cut out that I didn't get to say was uh, going a little bit deeper into this. Into this idea of worship, that the fact that, and I did say this, that we are worshipers, like plain and simple. We've been created to worship. And so, by our nature, by our hardwiring, like you are a worshiper, I am a worshiper. Um, yeah. And every human being has been designed by God to worship during every minute of every day. And so, God created us for this. And you know we we defined yesterday that worship is is simply the act of ascribing ultimate value to something, uh, in a way that engages your entire being, and so the 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 thing that I didn't get into as much is just this idea that God was meant to be the recipient of our worship, but so often, uh, in fact, there's a passage of scripture in Romans one twenty five that says that you know that people. Now exchange worship and service of the Creator for worship and service of the creation, and it says it this way: it says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Yeah, and wow. and so uh, you know, there's this tendency in us because we were created to worship. That it's not that we it's not that we just stop worshiping. Something we worship, something we just aim too low, yeah. Um, and and we begin to worship things that God created for our enjoyment, for our benefit, um, but then taking those things and making them ultimate instead of worshiping God Himself. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, uh, just this idea that we, you know, we need to reclaim God as our as the main object of our worship, and yeah. not fall for the idea that something lesser than him can fill that void in our lives. Yeah, And I even think when, you know, there's a, there's a story in, in Luke 4 when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Everybody probably remembers this, but he took Jesus up to the high place and says, you know, all of this will be, be yours if you, and then the, the deal was, if you worship me and if you give your worship to me. And Jesus' response to that says, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And uh, and 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 God is there, or Jesus is there, kind of recentering us on the true object of our of our worship. And uh, I I just love also that when we worship God, it's an act of defiance towards Satan because yeah. he would love to redirect our worship to to all these other things, to this person or this relationship or this car or this job or this status or you know whatever it is. Um, that that that's been given to us by God but it's not meant to be worshiped. So that was a piece that I left off kind of that little rabbit trail on, you know, misplaced worship. Um and kind of kept it all all on the positive yesterday.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, that's I think as I hear you say that it just hits on that that temptation towards idolatry that yeah. we all are prone towards since the very beginning, right? To 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 worship the created thing to make God and our image instead of being remembering that we're made in his right. image to worship him so so on one level there is this part that should make us uh, sad or even like a righteous anger of like God's worthy of that I don't want to give something that God's worthy of away to something else mm. right whether that's my job or material possessions or a relationship like God's worthy of that worship so I don't want to give it to a created thing I don't want to treat a created thing as, a, as if it's ultimate yes what's the negative thing that happens to us? When we do that, like why? So God loses glory. That should upset us. That should make us sad. But what what else in that do you see as like a a a consequence of giving our worship to making something else ultimate that isn't God? So
1: the problem when we do that is that those things weren't created to be worshipped, right? So Mm -hmm. so God didn't give them that place. Which means when we do put them in that place, they will always fail us. And I think that's the, that's the trade-off that we have to understand, that it feels good in the moment to, to, to really focus our efforts on this thing mm-hmm. that has become so important to me that it's ultimate. What we don't think about at the early stages of that is that, and that thing was never meant for that place, and so it's going to fail me. And, I, and I'm going to end up hurt. I'm going to end up lower than I feel right now because that thing is going to let me down. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that's actually been one of the, you know, I talked about it a lot during the beginning of COVID, you know, but one of the big lessons of COVID is that so much was taken away from us. Mm. And I think for a lot of people, it became this eye-opening moment of like, oh my gosh, I was putting way too much trust in my job. I was putting way too much faith in my ability to make relationships at the bar on Friday night. Mm -hmm. And it's like, when that stuff all gets stripped away, we're left with, okay, what is the rock solid, steady, dependable thing that I, that I can build my life around, you know? And so, um, but I think that's the negative for us is that it's just, we're going to get hurt.
0: That's good. That's good. Makeshift saviors. Yeah. Can't, Truly safe. That's right. In the ways that we need like they can't right. love us, comfort us, help us, be there for us, guide us, mm-hmm. you know, like they will disappoint us eventually. They weren't made for it. Right. So that's good. Thanks, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that's that's great. great. That's a great uh bonus content from Sunday's message. <laughs> so it's conflict. That's where we're going today. That's a theme that, that we want to touch on because it's been a significant part of Grace's history, how we've navigated conflict. Yeah, uh, it's a bit, it's been, I'd say, a significant part of every church's <laughs> history and every individual's history, right? Like conflict true. is is unavoidable. And so the question is, how do we navigate it uh, well? So what, can you tell us a little bit about a, a specific conflict that you've had to navigate, we've had to navigate as a church?
1: Yeah, I think there was a, there was a really formative a uh, season for us as a church and i I, th- I think it's worth it to mention every time you know grace is a super old church so if somebody's listening to this for the first time you know we've been around since 1895 and so um you know even though a lot of our people are young and vibrant and all that like we're a super old church and um so there have been lots of seasons of conflict, a lot that happened before me. I've been here for 26 years, and so I can, I can reflect on some of those moments with in my tenure. Um, and one of those times was right back around the, the year 2000, kind of the late 90s, early 2000s. And I mentioned this very briefly in one of my messages recently, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you a little bit more of a build-out here. But um, we termed it the firestorm. Uh, so, I mean, those of us who were around at the wow. time, if you say that word, um, there will be a flood of memories and I'm sure emotions that that come up. And I think, again, I've had lots of chance to reflect now We're, you know, 20 years later, and we're in a good place as a church, so that, that helps, you know, to be able to kind of look back through realistic eyes. Yeah. Um, we had come through a lot of change at once, and I think that that's a big deal— um, when you look at, you know, we added some controversial decisions to the mix, so we added contemporary worship services, we had this influx of new uh, new people, like, and people who were far from God, you know, were suddenly coming to our church, and, you know, I remember installing ashtrays out in the thing for people to put out, so, you know, that was just kind of a new, a new world for us, because all of a sudden there's, uh, you know, there's this whole new crowd that's coming, and... Um, There were a number of other changes, you know, we we were cutting down on the number of committees. We used to be a real committee-driven church, and so we started cutting down those committees. And so there was this kind of collision of a bunch of change, and uh, it rocked the boat big time. And add to that, um, we had a bit of a youth movement going on, so there was young people coming, um, and there was a bit of a leadership crisis. Like I think it caused a lot of people to question the leaders of Grace, of which I was one, and uh, we had a lot of people leave the church. Like hundreds mm-hmm. at once left the church, and um, there was a uh, there was actually a group that formed uh, to to kind of make their concerns known. Uh, To the leaders of the church, and it was a very, very contentious time, very difficult time to walk through. Um, I still, to this day, no nobody really knows us except our elders. But I still, to this day, have some PTSD when we come up upon the annual, what we now call the celebration. Um, It used to be the annual meeting, and they were long and horrible and contentious, and would go four and five hours, and people, you know, were debating on the floor you know, each, each, uh, staff member's salary number and deciding whether they were worth that number, if they shouldn't get that. Number. I mean, it was just, it was painful. It wow. was a very, very painful time. And part of it was, um, pastor Al, who was the, the, the senior pastor at that time, you know, was under fire, not only from the congregation, but also from, um, the, uh, in his personal life had just like a bunch of personal stuff going on. Mm. And, uh, it started to fracture us. It started to fracture the church. It started to fracture the staff uh, at the time, and uh, it almost took down Grace Church. Like wow. if I if I'm just being candid about it, uh, it was a time that almost took us down. And uh, I remember when Al came into one of our one of our elder meetings and um, uh, kind of let that group in on some stuff that that he was going through in his personal life, and there was. Uh, already preparations made uh, by the elders to kind of put him on a leave of absence and uh, let go of him. Our staff was trying to find our way. Every staff member was days away from a different job. I was twenty four hours away from a job in Denver, Colorado, and um, um, you know it was it was brutal. Uh, the conflict was heavy. I, I I remember feeling like a weight on my chest every day and night. Mm. And ultimately, I mean, there were a lot of little things, but ultimately what kind of brought that time to a conclusion is we called in an outside consultant mm. and um, brought him in. and uh, he, he was actually a person that wrote a book called Firestorm. So that's why we that's kind of how it lovingly got that name. Um, but I will never forget it. I mean, I remember exactly the exact room we were in. I remember the exact seat I sat in. Uh, some 20 years ago, uh, and and that consultant walked us through kind of a process of reconciliation and clearing the air, and uh, the vast vast majority of our staff stayed, uh, which I which was a miracle in and of itself. Yeah. And uh, and our church began to rebuild. And I believe, looking back, that that God honored, even though we made lots of mistakes that God honored that season of conflict and our, our willingness to stay loyal to the mission, to stay loyal to God through the process to each other and, um, you know, kind of saw us, saw us through. And, and really that was when the, the, the kind of rebuilding of Grace Church began. Mm. And, um, you know, we, we are where we are today because of it in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, I still see people around the hallway. You know, we have a lot of new people here. But when there's where there's some of those old guard people who have made it through all of that, um, there's always this deep unspoken connection of like, I love you. We made it look around at what God's done Wow. um, that, you know, I'm not sure most people know about or appreciate the fact that there are a lot, a lot of scars that got us to where we are. Yeah, so right. that's just a little, little snapshot, little glimpse. Don't want to get too dark and depressing, but
0: <laughs> that's but you what think happened. about that, right? I mean, you think about that for you know, I think in terms of a marriage that's made it to yeah. fifty or sixty years, and right. and the couples smiling and happy, and everything seems perfect. And you, what you don't see at that anniversary celebration are those moments where they walk through the valleys together, the firestorms of, of marriage and life together. And, and you think about that for a church that you come on a Sunday morning to grace. And it's amazing to see how loving people are and how amazing our volunteers are and our leaders. And there's just a lot of great things to celebrate about where we are as a church right now. And to appreciate that fully, you have to appreciate what, what we've gone through, what people have gone through yeah. to, to get us here for yeah. God, for God to bring us here. Right? Like, even you know, even the people of God, Israelites, like That's right. you know, promised land is not as meaningful without a forty year desert, you know, wilderness experience yeah. uh, to fully appreciate the the power of God and His ability to walk us through really hard things, conflict, to get us to yeah. better places. So so man, after that, you know, sharing that story and and people hearing that part of this, this, uh, series is talking about how do we take some of the learnings from that and apply it personally. So can you share some of the takeaways from that, that experience or just in conflict in general that you think are good personal principles?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, I think one of the things after coming through something like that, and I, and I really liked what you said, you know, I always think about it whenever I see a, uh, uh, an elderly couple walking and holding hands it's like like you said that there's this love but anytime there's been longevity of any kind there's always unwritten scars mm. you know there's always scars that they've that they've battled through together and you know it even though you can't see it you know that it's there Um and, and so I, I just really appreciate that. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, if we want to take some of that and, and, and even beyond that, just kind of conflict resolution in general and universalize it say, how do we as people, normal, everyday people resolve conflict better? Um, I'll draw a couple lessons from this there. And, and but I also want to talk just about some general things. There's seven or eight things overall. So, um, and we'll just me- mention them quickly and, and move through, but You know, I think the first thing and kind of where I started with that historical note is just that, you know, to recognize that seasons of change attract conflict. So anytime you're going through uh, a season of change, I think, again, thinking about it through a personal lens you know, when you're having a new baby, when you're moving into a new house, when you're retiring, when you take a new job, when there's a family shift of any kind, you know, a kid moving out or a kid coming back, whatever it may be, that anytime there's a season of change, um, seasons of change attract conflict, that that the level of conflict is heightened. And I think if we can just know that and be aware of that, it will help us uh, to navigate those times a little better. So that's one. I think a second one is and and this was really strong in our historical uh, in my historical memory here is just remembering who the enemy is I think one of the one of the keys to resolving conflict is remembering who the enemy is and and I think this is particularly pertinent right now because we're we're in such a divisive time you know it seems like everything is divided you know we're politically divided we're racially divided our country's divided every everything seems divided right now um, and if you're going to guard the unity of anything, you know your marriage included, or friendships, or our church, our church's unity, um, we need to remember always who is behind all the division, and that we have an enemy who is a formidable foe who specializes in this. And so Ephesians six, you know, tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, and, and then Revelation twelve ten paints this picture of of Satan that says that he's the accuser of the brothers. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a curious phrase because this word accuser, the Greek word, is categor, where we get the word category or categorize. And so there's this idea that one of Satan's main things, the thing that he's expert at, is categorizing people dividing people you're a republican you're a democrat you should hate each other um you're a catholic you're a protestant you should hate each other you're black you're white you should hate each other you're a husband you're a wife you should hate each other whatever it is uh you're a vaxxer you're an anti-vaxxer you should i mean you wear masks you don't i mean think about all the ways uh that he can divide and as long as he can keep us divided he can keep us defeated Mm. and um You know, it's like when husband and wives get into fights, when Kim and I get into a fight, when, you know, you and Kristen get into a fight, we all all get into fights and arguments and all this kind of stuff. It's so important to remember who the enemy is because we can so quickly move to that my spouse is the enemy. That person that's sitting on the other side of the church as me is the enemy. And that's not the enemy. Mm-hmm. We are all, in the, all, all on the same team. The enemy is the accuser of our souls who would have us divided. Yeah, um, And just division is the, the, the devil's playground. That's good. His very name, the d- devil, the diablos is, is the word. It means to divide, to mm-hmm. separate, um, to throw against. So this is what he does. So anyway, I, I think in, when it comes to conflict, remembering who the enemy is, um, and it's not that other person; sure. it is the enemy, and we're we need to join up, join forces to fight him. Is a very um, important um, posture yeah. to take. Um, and on that same note, I would just say another another thing was just is just this idea of armoring up, putting on spiritual armor, because we're because we're in a fight that's not against this person; it's a spiritual fight. Um, that you know, there's this great again passage in Ephesians six that talks about. Um, the, the spiritual armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, you know, the sandals of the gospel, gospel readiness, the shield of faith, you know, making sure that we're putting on that kind of armor every day because it's a spiritual battle and not, and not a, a personal one. I'll just say one more and then we can kind of banter a little bit, um, and this may be just a little bit less spiritual and more practical. One of the ways to resolve conflict is to define the conflict very specifically. So I think a lot of conflicts exist because um, people don't define what it is that we're. So, again, take a husband and wife. this is easy, this is easy fodder because we both know that this happens, but you know, husband and wife are are mad at each other. Well, define the conflict. What's the problem? Well, maybe the wife just says, well, he, he's just a jerk, right? He's a jerk. Well, let's be specific. Right? What, what kind of what jerk? What kind is he? of jerk? <laughs> <laughs> can you throw a few more adjectives in front of the noun jerk? He is a blankety, blankety, blankety jerk. Perfect. All right. right. Now we no. define it. <laughs> so, but but if people will go further and say, okay, well, well when is he a jerk? Mm. You know? And if you can get kind of get that spouse to go, okay, well, really, when he's a jerk is between when he gets home from work. So now we're getting closer. But now if we can define the problem even further and go, well, maybe he's not a jerk. Maybe maybe you're not relationally connecting well between 6 and 7 p.m. When he, now we've got a specific, we've specified the conflict. Now, now we can ask, we can put it out there over there. Now it's not about you. Now it's this. there's this thing out there that we need to solve. The, we are not relationally connecting between 6 and 7 p.m., Okay, now we can ask the question, how do we each contribute to that problem? Okay, how does husband, as he's on his way home, contribute to that problem? How is wife anticipating that, what's going to happen, contributing to that problem? Now we can list maybe some past ways that we've tried to address this problem that didn't work. Now we can pick a new solution to try. Okay, I'll do this. Why don't you do that? And now we can kind of Relationally connect better between six and seven p.m. You see how how oh, making yeah. it specific is very very helpful in 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 moving to resolution. That's really good. Yeah,
0: that's really good. And and I think with with each of these, I'm realizing just that kind of internal heart work you can do when you when you realize you're in a conflict. Your mind will naturally go into defense mode, ac- accusation mode. Why that person is the problem. That right. person is the reason the conflict exists. Yes, It's because they're this kind of, they're a jerk, yes. they're, they're too busy, they're whatever, like you just put them in a category. When you do the hard work to say, why is there conflict? Mm-hmm. Where is this coming from? What's really creating this? And you can come into the conversation mm-hmm. having already done that hard work where you're not coming in with accusation, you're coming in saying, hey, listen, you're not my enemy. Yeah. like. The devil's our enemy. Yeah. He's trying to get between us in a specific way. I think it's because we're not connecting at this time. I want to hear more of your thoughts on it. I want to figure out how we can we can move forward in this together. Yes. Right? That's such yeah. a different conversation than totally it just is. like coming out in mm-hmm. hurtful words. Yeah. And you are this. You are that. You are this. Yeah. It's just interesting as you said that. Yeah. there's there's uh, And sometimes you go into it, you're not entirely sure what the conflict is. Yeah. Right? So you might need a conversation with your friend, with your child with your spouse, with your coworker to peel back the layers to, to identify that. Right. But if, if the, you go into it saying there's something off between us, I've been feeling it, have you been feeling that? Can we try and figure out what where we're missing each other? And you're, that's what you're talking about versus yep. just the, the accusations or, or avoidance. Um, I think, that, yeah, that's, that's a Totally helpful, different conversation. Super helpful yeah. thing. Great. Love yeah. it. All right, can you share a few yeah, other Yeah, a couple principles? more real
1: quick. So... Uh, The other one, and this is really specific to to our history, is just to say don't hesitate to get outside help. Like Our conflict as a church didn't get resolved until we brought some outside help in. And I would just say to people, individuals, it's sooner than you think. Um, So if you wait... If you wait until you think it's bad enough to get outside help, it's usually too late. Mm. Um, I would just encourage people along the way, whether that's a counselor, whether it's joining a support group, whether it's confiding in a, in a mentor or a confidant or whatever, um, don't hesitate to get outside help. That's usually getting that outside set of eyes on the problem is, is usually one of the key components in moving it forward.
0: And you say that before, like two people or a person by themselves? So, so I'm thinking about someone who has tension at work with a coworker, and it's just mm-hmm. constant, and it's become this big burden. Is that a time where they invite outside help to, yeah, and so gain I, perspective, or do you mean so like mediation? So, really, of?
1: the first step is, I mean, it is as long as the kind of the power structures are equal. I would say talk to that person individually. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it is one of the learnings that, uh, again, coming from our history, going, you need to keep that circle of conflict small. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so don't start kind of building an army, <laughs> you know, to, to take with you to, to kind of confront a person or to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. But, um, I do think that, um, getting that, getting that outside help, I just forgot. I lost my train of thought. What did you yeah. ask me? Cause I'm
0: thinking like a counselor, right? Is yeah. what I think of first when you say outside help and, yeah. and we've been talking about marriage. So like a marriage is struggling. You can see a counselor, with your spouse or by yourself? Are they equally beneficial, I guess, is part of my question. Someone else who's in conflict with someone that they can't go see a counselor together because yeah. it's their co or something. It just doesn't make sense. Is it yeah. still beneficial for them to seek outside help? Yeah,
1: I think so because, I, you know, obviously you need to get yourself right first. And I think that's usually the, um, you know, the first step for anybody is to, to seek help for yourself first. Because if you are not in a good place, mm-hmm. that conflict is never going to get resolved. Wow. Yeah. You know, you ha- you have to be in a good place first. And so, yeah, I think that's totally fine to, you know— to seek help for yourself first, even if that other, because sometimes that other person isn't even willing. Right. You know, even if they're aware of the conflict, they're just saying, "I don't want to see a counselor." Like, this is your problem, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And at that point, I think it's really important to work on yourself. That's good. thanks. Um, I think that you know, keeping short accounts is really a is really a big deal. Um, I think a lot of conflicts happen because something has built up and built up and built up over time. And, you know, there's this passage in Ephesians 4 that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And a lot of times people think, well, that means, you know, by by day's end, I need to clear all the, you know, all the conflict decks that that may exist. And I'm not sure that's exactly what he's talking about, but I I think it's the idea that you don't want to carry anger from one incident into the next incident. You don't want to take the baggage from your last job into your new job, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So it's this idea that, that we don't want to be carrying this baggage from relationship to relationship and inflicting it on the next person. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think keeping short accounts is a really, really good principle, um, you know, that we, can, uh, that we can use to help with, with conflict. That's great. That's
0: great. I know as people are listening today, they're thinking about the relationships that they're in. They're yeah. thinking about maybe conflict they've experienced within church, within work, uh, whatever it might be. And I'm hoping that as they've heard this and really heard the, the God's ability to redeem, to heal, to restore, make things stronger and better through conflict. That's that's I think the, the most encouraging part of this conversation for me is don't don't freak out when there's conflict. It is inevitable because we are selfish, sinful people pray and seek the opportunity for God to use that conflict to to make some make a relationship stronger because of it. And I think you've given us some really practical ways to do that today. Yeah. So thanks
1: Pastor D. Thanks man. And I I'll just add one more thing. I mean, I just literally walked out of a conversation with somebody and I was talking about this that you know, it's so easy to say I'm just going to run from this conflict. I'm just going to run, I'm going to avoid, I'm going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at like some of the key growth spurts we talked about earlier just for me as a leader it was in these times and i thank god that that i had the wherewithal to hang in there through it Mm. um because it was like in the hanging in there that he taught me so so much about himself about myself about the church about relationships and so you know i would even say to people who are like on the brink of giving up on a relationship or on something That, man, a lot of times God does his best work in the middle of that fire, you know, and that's where he shapes and molds us the most. So before you just bolt, um, you you really want to ask the question, is this, does God want me to walk through this because he wants to show me more of himself?
0: Mm. That's a good word, my friend. Thanks. Hey, if this conversation encouraged you today, we'd love for you to leave a comment or review so that more people can benefit from it. Share it with someone maybe that uh, would benefit from it. Maybe not the person that you're in conflict with as like, you know, a little like jab. That's probably not the best idea. But if you want to listen it, to this, yeah, you know, give them a little context, maybe. Uh, but if you do uh, value it and you know someone else that maybe is going through a, a conflict, maybe this would benefit them. Uh, we'd love for them to be able to hear it. So like and subscribe, uh, get notifications uh, for our next episode which should be coming up next week. Uh, with Pastor Sarah and Pastor Derek. We'd love for you to hear that. Uh, If you want more information about Grace Church here in Erie, PA, visit whosgrace.com and check us out. Until next time, uh, would you look for God to do something good through the hard conflict that you're walking through? God bless you guys.
1: We'll see you soon.